0: For the last few weeks we've been looking at, in preparation for the resurrection, we've been looking at the kingdom of God and the kingdom that Jesus initiates by virtue of his ministry and of his death and his resurrection. We looked at this kingdom that we refer to as the upside down kingdom. And for Palm Sunday we are going to look at a passage that I'm sure is familiar to many of you and that's found in Luke chapter 19 Verse 28 through 48. Luke 19:28 through 48. The triumphal entry of the upside-down king. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you shall find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. And tie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, where are you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those of you who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying it, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it, and he rode along. They spread their cloaks on the road, and as they were drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. And may we be a people that hang on the very words of Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. We all long for a king, don't we? It's why the Movies that are typically blockbusters, and the books that are bestsellers, and the television programs that captivate us usually revolve around royalty, a king and a queen, a prince and a princess. And although we don't have royalty in our country, when the prince of England got married a few years ago, guess what country had the highest viewers right here in America, Glue to our television because there's something in us that is captured by royalty. There's something in us that's captured by a story of a king and a queen. Something captures us about the story of a prince and a princess. From an early age, boys dressing up like the dragon slayer, little girls dressed up like princesses, We all long in our hearts for that story of the king and the queen, of the prince and the princesses. That's why even we refer to some of our moments in U.S. history as Camelot, because there's something in us that longs for that royal story. There's that longing in each one of us that longs for the king to come. And so you can understand why 2,000 years ago, when a man by the name of Jesus, who claimed to be the king of the Jews, why there was a craze, why there was euphoria, as he rode in 2,000 years ago through the entrance of Jerusalem. Because the longing for a king is not something that just happened the last hundred years. It's not something that just happened the last two hundred years. It's something that is ingrained in each one of us. The longing for a king. The longing for the king to come. And so as we talk about the upside down kingdom. The upside down kingdom that Jesus initiates. It's important for us to understand Who is this upside-down king, and what exactly did he come to do? And there's three things that I want us to look at briefly this morning, three things that we see in the story of the triumphal entry of the upside-down king. There's three things that he comes to do. And the first thing, we see it here in verse 30, verse 30 through 34, the king has come to, number one, reclaim what is rightfully his. The king has come to claim what is rightfully his. Starting in verse 30, we see Jesus commission his disciples to do what? Go out and find for me a colt. Find for me a a horse, a young horse, a colt that has never been broken in, that has never never had anybody ride on his back, and you go find me that colt and you bring him here. And when the owners ask you, What are you doing with it? You simply give them this line. The Lord has need of it. And we eventually see what happens. In verse 33, it says they're untying the colt. And you can imagine the audacity of the situation. The owners are going, what are you doing with my colt? They don't even ask permission. And what do the disciples do? Just as instructed, they answer him by saying, the Lord has need of it. They don't explain to the owner, well, it's a spam by the name of Jesus and he came and we really don't know what he's going to do with it, but this is basically his plan. We think this is his plan. They don't give them some long explanation. They don't really rationalize with the owner. They simply give him these words, "The Lord has need of it." And what that signals to them and signals to the world that the king has come to claim what is rightfully his. And it's the announcement that the Sovereign Lord has come and now he's coming to take back everything that belongs to him. But it's the announcement to you this morning that all things are under his sovereign care and under his dominion. It's the announcement that your life is not your own. It's the announcement that your opportunities are not your own and your talents are not your own and your money is not your own and your career is not your own and your children are not your own. They are all rightfully his and the king has come back to claim what is rightfully his. Everything we have in our possession ultimately is under the sovereign care and control of God. All authority is in him, including your life. It means, as we talked about last week, we can no longer go through life holding so tightly to the things that we think are ours and say, it is mine. Because Jesus comes and he says, the Lord has need of it. And the, need, the Lord has need of what is rightfully his. This is the reminder that when we sing the song, take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord for thee, that we realize and we recognize That all things, everything in my life, everything in your life, ultimately belongs to God. Jesus comes back on Palm Sunday and he rides into Jerusalem announcing that everything is his. He's come back to reclaim what is rightfully his. But we also see, beginning in verse 35, we begin to see that Jesus not only comes to reclaim what is rightfully his, but we see, starting in verse 35, that Jesus also comes to restore all things. You see, what, what happens when the cult is eventually brought to Jesus? It says they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, and they sat on Jesus. And what begins to happen Jesus on this colt that has never been broken in, has never been ridden before, he parades into Jerusalem with thousands of people surrounding the way and shouting. What's unique about this picture? The colt doesn't buck him off. The colt doesn't jump. The colt doesn't doesn't wrestle uh, with this idea that I have not been broken in, I haven't been bridled, I haven't been trained, I, haven't been, I have not been prepared for this moment. And peacefully, the cult carries the Messiah through Jerusalem, through the raging crowds, through the roaring crowds of the people of Jerusalem. And what it is signaling is that the Creator has come in the person of Jesus Christ. The one that was with God the Father at the beginning is here now in Jerusalem making all things new, even taking the wildest of animals and bringing peace to them. It is the announcement that Jesus is bringing all things under his care and under his control. It's the announcement that Jesus is coming in into the darkness, into the brokenness of our world, into the homelessness of our society and saying they will not have their last word. They will not have their last say that evil and darkness and brokenness will not be the final chapter of this world. But I am coming in to restore all things and to make all things new. You see, when Jesus rides in, you can only imagine the euphoria. And in other, in other texts, in Matthew and in Mark, they cry out, He has come, the King of David has come, because they knew that it would only be one like David that would bring them back to the days of expanded borders, of expanded strength, and to the pinnacle of what Israel once experienced they were longing for a king to make all things new to rescue them from this brokenness and despair and as jesus rides on this untrained unbridled colt just as the calms just as the wind and the waves obey jesus and are calm so this colt is calmed as well because this colt realizes that this is my creator this is my maker this is my master and he is here to make all things new. And what do they say? What do the religious leaders say? In verse 39, the the Pharisees in the crowd say to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Get them to calm down, because the disciples understood this is the one that is going to restore all things back to order and back to the way they should have been all along. And what does Jesus say to them in verse 40? He answers and says, I tell you, if they these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If that I hush my disciples, then the very stones that you walk in will cry out. What is he saying? That even creation longs for the coming of the Redeemer. Even creation itself longs for the coming of Jesus. That yes, I can shut the mouths of my disciples, but even the stones will cry out. That you cannot stop what is about to happen. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah talks about the future king. And it says, when the king comes, even the mountains and the hills will break forth in praise. Because even creation itself longs for things to be made new. Even creation itself longs for everything to be restored. See, creation and nature will welcome back its Redeemer. And so he rides in on a colt that has never been ridden. And he says, this is what I've been made for. Not get off of me. Not you have to break this colt in. This is what I've been made for. There was a boy in rural Mississippi in the 1950s, who was suffering from polio. And in the rural Mississippi in the 1950s, they could find no cure. And so the doctor, on his last resort, tried a tracheotomy. And the tracheotomy... Was done in not the most civil means as you would find today, but the doctor comes in to, uh, to perform this trachectomy and he punctures the lungs of this 11 year old boy, plunging him into a coma. And one month passes, and the boy is still in a coma. And two months pass, and the boy is still in a coma. And three months pass, and the boy is still in a coma. And finally, the doctors bring the young boy, this 11-year-old boy, the parents of this 11-year-old boy, into the waiting room, and they tell the mom and the dad, there is no hope, there is no operation that will cure your boy. And with that, the dad stands up and he slams the door and he goes into the room of his 11-year-old and he gets down on his knees and he says, you have to get out of bed today. You have to get out of this bed. And if you do, I'll even let you drive my truck. Later that afternoon, that boy woke up and that boy walked out of bed see there is no hope for you and for me this side of heaven without the hope of a king who has come to make all things new you need this hope i need this hope On those days where you go, there is no hope. There is no solution. My life is such a mess. My life is in such darkness and brokenness. You need this good word reminder that there is a king who marched into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on an unbridled, untrained colt and announced that I am making all things new. You need that hope. And you have that hope this morning. You can't make it without that hope and neither can I. I pray with many of you after the service and the prayer that I pray with almost every one of you if we've prayed together is this, that if, Jesus has the, if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, surely he has the power to make all things new in your life. Surely he has the power to bring beauty out of the brokenness of your life right now. Jesus comes and he rides into Jerusalem to claim what is rightfully his and to restore all things. That is my hope and that is your hope this morning. It's our only hope. But lastly, what else does Jesus come to do? He comes to pay our redemption We see it here starting in verse 41 that Jesus comes in and he draws near the city. But what did the people want? You see, the people of Jerusalem wanted a conquering hero. They wanted a Messiah that would ride in on a chariot surrounded by wild beasts and dragging the conquered foreign kings and princes behind them, the shamed oppressors. But instead, he doesn't come in as the conquering military hero. He comes riding a colt, humbly. He doesn't come wielding his sword, but instead he comes with a towel to wash the feet of his disciples. He doesn't go to a platform or even to the rightful throne of Herod with the acclamation of the crowd. But he stops, it says in verse 41, and he weeps. You see a picture of a weeping king, weeping over his people lamenting over his people that is the picture that we have of the king and after he is done weeping and lamenting over his people where does it say he goes it says in verse 45 that he enters the temple and it goes on to talk about how he spends the entire week in the temple I've read this passage for 20 years I've never noticed that before Yes, he goes in and out, but he spends his entire week in the temple. What is significant about that? You see, Jesus could have right, and he would have had every right to do this, would have had every right to march up to King Herod's palace to tell Herod, get off your throne, the real king is here. But instead he goes where? He goes to the temple. He goes to his father's House And he spends the entire week there. Why? Because he wants to make a statement. He wants to say that this temple, after this week, will have no more use. That the priests that used to serve in this temple will no longer be of use because I am the great priest that will now bring access to God. That this temple, which once was celebrated as the place where God dwelled, will now dwell in each one of you who call yourselves a child of this king. But most importantly, what was this week? This week, for the nation of Israel, this was the beginning of Passover. What was going to happen this week was the head of every family would go into the countryside and pick the choice lamb to be slaughtered for Passover for the forgiveness of the sins of the people of God. And so as Jesus is riding in on Palm Sunday that... You could probably also hear the cries of the lambs being carried out from the countryside and brought in to Jerusalem. And there in the midst of all of the lambs that are getting ready to be slaughtered for the Passover stands the great Lamb of God who is here to take away the sins of the world. You see, by Jesus going not to the palace but to the temple announces this, that he has come to pay our redemption. Jesus does not go to take the place of Herod on the throne, but instead goes to the temple and takes the place of the lamb on the altar. That is what Jesus has come to do. He is the upside-down king who doesn't sit on the throne, but sits on the very altar of God as the great lamb of God. And he lays down his life and he does the unthinkable. You see, there is no king like this. The world has never seen a king like this, and the world will never see a king like this. The king always asks one thing of his people Will you lay down your life for me? But this king arrives and he says, I will lay down my life for you. It's interesting that Jesus could have picked many means in which he could have got to Jerusalem. There were many secret ways in which he could have come. He could have come at night. He could have been snuck in. But Jesus chose the front gate of Jerusalem to enter into Jerusalem. Why? He wanted to make a scene. And the reason Jesus wanted to make a scene and come in on the first day of Passover, the first day of the week with a grand entrance is because he wanted to force the hands of the religious leaders. He wanted the religious leaders to make this decision. You can either fully accept me right here, right now, and crown me, where you need to fully reject me and put me on a cross. But there is no more middle ground with me. I will no longer tolerate half-hearted commitment and devotion to me and to my calling. So right here, right now, I will make a scene in the middle of all of Jerusalem and you will either crown me Lord of all or you will reject me and put me on a cross. 2,000 years later, That same Jesus is presented to you. And he stands here this morning and he says, you can either crown me and accept all of me or reject me and crucify me. But this is what it means. It means that you can no longer dismiss Jesus in your life. It means that you can no longer be indifferent to Jesus in your life. It means you can no longer just tolerate Jesus and his calling in your life. It means you can no longer accept Jesus as simply a profound teacher. It means you can't just simply accept Jesus as a good leader. And it means that you can no longer accept Jesus as simply who just did a lot of good things. It means that right here, right now, Jesus stands before you. And he says, accept all of me, or accept none of me. Crown me the Lord of your life, or reject me. Because if he has really died for you, he has died for every part of you. And if he has died for every part of you, then he needs to become the Lord of all of you. There are no exceptions to that call. A few years ago, there was a boy by the name of Mark. And Mark was a third grader. And his teacher was doing her annual exercise of creative storytelling. And this is how it would work. The teacher would stand up in front of the nine-year-old boys and girls. And she would tell a story. And they would have to finish the story by drawing a picture and explaining it to the class. And this is how the beginning of the story went. There once was an ant and a grasshopper. And all summer, the ant was busy collecting food for the winter. The grasshopper was too busy playing. And when it came time for winter, the ant had all of this food to eat, and the grasshopper had none. And the boys and the girls were left to draw a picture of how would this story end in your minds? Well, the teacher was so amazed by this one student, Mark, that she couldn't help herself by dismissing herself and calling Mark's mom. And she calls Mark's mom and she says, you know, we were supposed to do our creative storytelling today and the most amazing, unthinkable thing happened. And the mom wants to know. Well, in all of my years of teaching... In all of my years of doing this creative exercise, all of the students typically have some version that goes like this. The ant has all the food, the grasshopper has none, and the ant shares the food with the grasshopper, and they both have enough to eat. But today, the unthinkable happens. Today, Mark told the class that the ant gave all the food to the grasshopper And the grasshopper lived, and the ant died. And the mom said, what was the picture? And she said, he drew a picture of the cross. They usually say, if something seems too good to be true, it's not true. The good news for us this morning is Jesus, the king, seems too good to be true. And the good news is, but he is. He's true, and he's true for you. And the only question is, is he your king? You see, we all have kings. We all long for kings. We all have something that rules our life. But Jesus says, I'm the king that will lay down my life so that you can live. Jesus not only seems unthinkable, He seems too good to be true. And the question I have for you this morning, is he your king? Do you know this king, that through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, came down to conquer sin and death so that you might live forever? There will never be a king like this. You, whether you realize it or not, are dying for a true king. And he's offered to you today in the person of Jesus.